You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the Bank of Canada and the recent rate hikes there, the ECB, as well as the Federal Reserve, and what impacts that's going to have on the portfolios. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our chief fixing income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, welcome back. Hey, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. Let's start today in Canada. Um, the Bank of Canada raised uh, interest rates just yesterday by 50 basis points, uh, which I think was widely expected by the market. Love to get your take on uh, on both rate height and anything else that uh, that you found interesting. Sure. So the bank did, yeah, raise by 50. Um, and yeah, I agree. The market was mostly priced for that. I think the market was around 90-ish percent, just looking at uh, the OIS curve. Going in, so it's pretty close to pretty close to fully priced, and most of the major banks, um, if not all of the major banks, had actually moved from a twenty-five to a fifty basis point hike uh, forecast for the meeting. So very much kind of in line from that perspective. Um, the other the other kind of uh, act two of, of the of the move uh, by the bank was the the quantitative tightening announcement. And the quantitative tightening announcement, you know, has been, I would say, well telegraphed. I think most, maybe not everybody, expected the bank to announce a quantitative tightening program um, uh, for for this meeting, and and it, indeed it did. A few maybe slight surprises there. One, uh, the bank said that it was going to stop um, uh, purchases in. Uh, it was sorry, it was going to yeah, it was going to unwind purchases. Uh, in the primary and secondary market. And I think some people maybe expected only one of the primary or the secondary market. Um, and then the second, I think, was that the the bank was, was going to uh, begin the tightening program um, as soon as uh, April 25th, which is on the, I would say, the earlier side of uh, the earlier side of the estimate. And I, you know, so the bank kind of stepping back a bit, the, the bank's forecast for inflation for this year and next year, 22, 23, uh, definitely higher versus where they were three months ago at the January NPR uh, monetary policy um, review. Uh, this obviously the April meeting for the bank, uh, Bank Canada is is a forecast meeting, so we had we had new updates, uh, and it's clearly very very concerned about inflation, uh, maybe more than than many thought. I, I would say probably including myself. So a bit more of a hawkish message. Uh, I think the market came away with a very strong view that the bank at its next meeting, which is June. Uh, which is not a forecast meeting, will very likely do 50 uh, basis points again. Uh, so back-to-back 50s. Um, because the inflation outlook is probably a little bit hotter than people expected, and even in 23 for 23 is going to remain quite a bit of, above the midterm, uh, sorry, the midpoint of the um, of the target band for, for the bank. And the bank yesterday also said that uh, the economy is operating well within or well above capacity. And the bank, as I'm sure most people know, like to use uh, capacity capacity utilization as a, uh, a very strong uh, input and metric into uh, in the, the policy reaction function and spends a lot of time on that. A lot of banks, a lot of central banks around the world don't do that as much anymore. I remember my time 
when I was with the bank, you know, a, num- a number of years ago now, quite quite a long in the mid two thousands. Um, it was a big it was a big factor then, and, and it remains a big it remains a big factor now. And, um, and we spent a lot of time talking about I think on this podcast last year around whether the bank thought the when the bank thought the economy would be you know in equilibrium or still below equilibrium right. or above equilibrium. So it definitely now thinks it's above equilibrium. And then you've obviously got rates that are very, very low. So there's a, a relatively strong argument, which obviously is coming through in the hawkishness of the bank yesterday um, to get to so-called neutral rates. And that's one other thing that definitely popped out yesterday was the bank, um, I would say reset or, or, or adjusted its, its estimate of what neutral is. And the bank views neutral as a range, which I think is appropriate. Maybe not you know, the range itself, but viewing it as a range is probably appropriate. And it basically upped their range by 25 basis points to uh, 2 to 3%. So the midpoint of the neutral range is now 2.5% as opposed to 2 and a quarter percent um, before, which is, it doesn't sound like a lot. Obviously, it's a quarter point, but that probably right. means to get to neutral that there's an extra hike, at least 25 basis point hike in the cycle. And if obviously the, the economy is operating above full capacity, and inflation is still a concern when you get to neutral, then we then the bank will continue to discuss about going into restrictive territory um, and right. uh, and you know really seriously removing accommodation and going above that. So I think I think investors can look and expect for the bank to much like the Fed uh, take a take a look at the neutral rate relatively soon. I would say by the end of this year or Q1 uh, 23. That's that's great context, Dustin. Um, one of the things that applies to both Bank of Canada, but I guess in general, uh, central bankers uh, around the world, is I've always heard that there's a significant lag time on monetary policy where sure, yeah. uh, central banks can act, and yeah. it, it takes upwards of uh, a year or a year and a half for that yeah. to to uh, filter through the economy. Yeah, is that is that your view on inflation as well? And I mean, we haven't had inflation uh, for uh, forty years. Uh, so forgive my ignorance on this, uh, but do you expect that same degree of lag time between interest rate hikes, quantitative uh, tightening, uh, and impact on inflation and economy, or does it work in a different way? No, I think it's very similar, and I think it will take a fair bit of time. I think a lot of a lot of the academics around it are anywhere from <clears throat> I would say th- three to six three to six quarters, so kind of nine months okay. to eighteen months around around that. And I, and I think that's I think that's appropriate. What's interesting now, though, um, is I mean, obviously we're starting from a very low level of, of nominal rates, right? Um, right. You know, effectively zero. Europe's still below zero. Japan's still below zero. And there's some literature that would suggest, and this kind of makes sense anecdotally, that if you if you the lower you start, uh, when, once you start hiking rates, those impacts are more quickly felt. Then, okay. if you say started at, I don't know, two and a half percent, and then you went to two seventy five, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of think about your own household balance sheet. If you were, you know, if you're you're borrowing at zero, and you right. go to twenty five, you know, that's or fifty, that's pretty significant. If you start at two and a half, and then you go to three, I mean, it's obviously the same number, but it's there's a bit of a, I think a bit of a, a mental, uh, behavioral, cognitive. Uh, Consumer pattern or behavior or reaction function associated with that. So I think it's, so I think it's a little bit different. So it, so it's a little. So back to the question. I think, it, you know, not not to not to just 
paint it all with the same brush because I think because right. we are starting from zero, there is a risk that we're going to see these hikes bite a little earlier on on this on the on the on the the calendar, so to speak. And I would say the same thing on you know on the inflation side. Now, what's different here, obviously, now too, is we've got a pretty pretty decent beginnings anyway of a wage price spiral. I mean, some of these right. union contracts that are getting renegotiated are at are at pretty high levels and people are asking for significant you know wage increases. The quits rate is very very high. I mean, people generally don't quit your don't quit their job unless they're very confident they can get another one. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, inherent uh, wage pressure in the system. And so that will be challenging. And this is one of the reasons I think the Fed's got very hawkish over the last three or four months. And, and Bank Canada, too, for sure. And I would say the ECB is also pivoting that way, although more slowly. Um, particularly Canada and the U.S., concerns about the beginnings of a wage price spiral and medium and longer term inflationary expectations becoming more ingrained, more sticky and that that remains to be seen. So this is going to be one of the big million dollar questions, so to speak, as we work through the the pace of hikes for the rest of right. this year and into early 23 as we get to neutral. And then probably exactly to your question, really, you know, what does the world look like when Canada and the US, where the economies look like when Canada and the US get to neutral? Uh, you know, it, it are, is it having an impact? Is it having as much of an impact as you thought? And then, you know, what 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 what's the reaction function from there? And how much further do you need to go over neutral? So I think that's going to be, I mean, that's going to be very much the question in terms of the the impact on inflation and of course the labor market and the economy in general later this year and early Q one and so Q one twenty three as we get into uh, you know the hiking cycle and uh, and how long does the lag actually take? But, um, uh, you know, to me, I mean, I've kind of said two opposite things, right? I've said, well, you're starting at zero, so that's one thing. But at the same time, um, you've got some wage price spiral stuff happening. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I, I mean, my, my general impression since the middle of last year is that we're seeing the beginnings of really, really sticky inflation and really important components and that was before Russia, Ukraine, with the energy and food, um, right. you know, uh, fallout from 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 that. Um, so things like rent, particularly, and owners' equivalent rent in the U.S. and shelter costs in general, and transportation costs. And I think those are those are big weights, and they are they are they are very ingrained, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to unwind those. So it'll be very it'll be very very interesting and very very challenging. But I think the I'm still more more hawkish than I than I am than I am dovish, and I'm generally leaning towards central banks being, look, we have a job to do. We need to get right. to neutral and take a look around, and 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 they're and they're going to do that unless something breaks really badly between now and then. Do you think it's possible for them to engineer this without causing a recession, or is is a recession a very likely outcome? I'm not saying in the next three months or anything like that. Right. But yeah. As these as these uh, monetary uh, policies start to bite. Yeah. And start to impact inflation, like can they engineer this without a recession? I think it's going to be very challenging. I think a growth slowdown is is almost assured. Great. Um, and I think the Brainard comments uh, earlier this week, her second speech in as many weeks, were really to try and take the edge off some of the recessionary talk that's and stagflationary talk, frankly, that's uh, 
that's crept in over the last three or four weeks uh, and really kind of peaked out say maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, and that, that's, that's vice, uh, vice chair elect Brainard for, uh, for the fed. Um, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be challenging. Obviously the, the, the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP. Um, right. so, so I, I think, yeah, we could definitely get that. Um, the labor market here and in the U S is very, very strong, very, very strong. And you would need to see, in my opinion, a, a real, uh, a really big change in the labor market on both or either to, to have a, a recessionary fears. And when you're kind of at or beyond full employment in the U S and I would say here too, very, very close here, then, uh, it's, it's tough for me. It's tough for me to talk about a, a recession. I mean, I, rates are going to move up very significantly. I mean, they already have here and right. they will continue to in the U S in the front end. And, and that's going to have an impact. Uh, for, absolutely. I mean, and then, and then that's not even talking about, um, higher energy prices and higher transportation costs and higher food prices and all that stuff. And it's a big deal. And, you know, consumer uh, discretionary incomes are going to get um, going to get squeezed pretty pretty significantly here for sure. So, so the the the, the seeds are there, um, but you have a very tight labor market. So I think this is going to be a very interesting and challenging cycle. And I I'm not, I mean, while I like to look at previous cycles and see what happened, I think it might be a little bit dangerous to do so for this one. Right. I think this one might play out might play out slightly differently. So I, th I think it's a, I think it's a great question. Um, and it'll, you know, it'll remain to be seen. Um, I think again, and we may have talked about this uh, last time or the time before that, but I think central banks, at least here and in, in the U S want to be aggressive and kind of front load because what they do not want is a stagflationary environment and they would prefer a, an economic slowdown or even a mild recession to a stagflationary environment, which is a very ugly hole to try and climb your way out of. And if, if the byproduct of these rate hikes is a mild recession, that's kind of the lesser of, uh, of, of two bad outcomes. And so while I think a lot of um, you know, people at the Fed and here would prefer not to have a recession, obviously, um, I think they know that that in many ways is the, the path of least resistance uh, in, in, uh, instead of not doing enough and inflation getting so ingrained, long-term and medium-term inflation getting so ingrained that it's out of control. And then you really have to do more later and cause a deeper recession from a right. higher price point level. Right. Uh, well, that makes a lot of sense, and obviously, we'll continue to to track this throughout our conversations here, and and yeah. you in your uh, day to day uh, sure. role on the fixed income team. Uh, let's turn a little bit to Europe now. Sure. Um, what's the latest uh, out of Europe, and uh, and what's your view on on future actions there? So we had an ECB meeting here this week, and um, the the April meeting, which is not a forecast meeting. And the ECB had been relatively hawkish in, in its February meeting and then somewhat, somewhat uh, incrementally so uh, in March. And uh, I think the, the, the bank took a bit of a break uh, this, this month, um, although Lagarde, President Lagarde had a few things in her press conference, which I thought were quite interesting, particularly around 
saying that the uh, the risks around uh, higher inflation had increased, um, and so which which kind of caught me uh, as a as a as a good placeholder for where I think this bank is going in in June. Um, the ECB is behind in terms right. of where uh, a lot of the uh, G10 central banks have have moved, not all, but many, and and the deposit rate in in. Europe, as I'm sure many people know, is still negative, negative 50, 50 basis points. Uh, so it's a big difference versus where kind of where we are here now in Canada and where I think the U.S. you know not only is but where it's going. Right. And um, I think I think that there's uh, I think there's some there's some work to do. The ECB's been all about uh, sequencing, which is a word I use a lot, I've used a lot this year. And by sequencing, uh, the bank is actually still. Uh, injecting money into the economy via the quantitative easing program. So another another difference in Europe versus, say, North America. And in terms of what I mean by sequencing, the bank continues to be very, very steadfast in terms of saying, well, we are not going to hike rates until we're done on the quantitative easing side. So today they were um, tweaking the, the language a little bit around the quantitative easing story uh, and giving them a little bit, giving themselves a little bit more flexibility about ending it in Q3, um, but Q3 is obviously three months long. It can be anywhere between, I guess, July 1st and September 30th. Right. And frankly, in this market, that's a very long time. Uh, the, the, if I have my dates right, the next ECB meeting after June 30th is late October. I want to say it's October 27th, but I could be slightly off. So sitting here kind of mid, um, <clears throat> mid-April, in this environment, in this inflationary global environment for the ECB to be doing nothing on rates, keeping in mind it's negative, uh, it's deposit rate is still negative, for six and a half months from right. mid-April mid until late October seems uh, extremely unlikely to me, ext extremely challenging. So I think the bank is winding up to uh, end its asset purchase program, its QE program, early. Um, Earlier in Q3, and maybe that'll get announced at the uh, the, Mar the sorry the June the June ECB meeting, and that'll give the uh, ECB a little bit more flexibility to to hike rates. Um, maybe um, maybe uh, maybe in Q3. So the market hasn't actually taken the message this way uh, today, which is kind of interesting to me. But I do think there are opportunities. Uh, to be short, uh, the front end of the uh, of the European curve, and frankly, a lot of points on the European curve. Is I do think that uh, I do think that the ECB is going to wind this up and just cannot just cannot stay on the sidelines for another six and a half months. Headline inflation in Europe is running at seven and a half percent, and it's you know uh, it, the U.S. is running at eight four. So it's really not it's really not that that much of a difference. You're inside a percentage point. And I think there's, you know, given the Russia-Ukraine situation, I think there's, um, I think there's, there's still further upside here, um, maybe for, maybe for, uh, for Europe. So I, I do. So all that to say, I think it's challenging. I think that ECB knows that. We've seen Lagarde and the chief economist uh, Lane, who also sits on the executive board, uh, change their tune a little bit over the last four, six, eight weeks. Um, and uh, I think we'll see a further evolution of the hawkish narrative, as I like to. That's kind of the language I use internally on the call on our fixed income calls. That evolution of the hawkish narrative, I think, is going to continue, and um, 
you know, I think we're going to see uh, we're going to see the, the ECB act act sooner rather than later because it just it just can't afford to wait as long as the sequencing timeline would suggest that it, it would. Um, okay, I see. So yeah, so I think that's you know that's what's happening. We have and we have some uh, portfolio positions that would uh, that would uh, if if correct would take advantage of that. Great. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll turn our attention back to the Fed. Uh, you you referenced it a few times when you're talking about the Bank of Canada. It sounds sure. like Bank of Canada and Fed are uh, walk step is probably overstated, but you know directionally uh, the same. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you'd like to expand on uh, with the Fed? So I think. Um, I mean, the Fed obviously means very, very important for for markets and for us in terms of watching it, understanding what they're saying, and, and the directionality. Obviously, it has a major impact on not only U.S. Treasury curves but also all all curves globally and just general risk appetite across asset classes. So we spend a fair bit of time watching the Fed and trying to understand it and get it right. Obviously, um, so the meeting meeting is May first. The next meeting for the Fed uh, that's not a forecast meeting. Um, the market is. Almost a hundred percent priced for fifty basis points at this point, uh, so it's Great. it's very very priced. I think the the froth around uh, an intermediate hike or even doing seventy five uh, for May has you know come off uh, a couple of weeks ago. But I think fifty looks you know barring some very odd or you know terrible or third standard deviation event, I think fifty basis points looks looks very likely. I think we've just had a really interesting speech from uh, Vice Chair-elect Brainard, who I was mentioning earlier on the podcast, um, earlier this week. And she was a little bit more dovish than she was in a speech last week. And the last week's speech was her first in a very, very long time, which was which actually was quite a bit hawkish. So there's a bit of daylight between the speech last week and the speech this week, which has caused some market consternation in terms of, okay, what's What's going on? Like, what what should we be paying attention to? And the curve's been kind of re-steepening out, um, and a lot of people have been looking for flatteners. So, um, just talking with a few people over the last uh, few days or so, you know what that means. And um, you know, I think the Fed's going to remain pretty hawkish. I think the Fed generally, particularly the voting sector of the of the Fed, and it is a hawkish it is a hawkish district voter rotation this year, as we've talked about a lot on these calls. But I think. Reynard may have been um, <clears throat> speaking this week and suggesting that, at least in a, in a read between the lines way, that it's a little bit more two way, and we aren't going to we the Fed aren't going to rocket higher to neutral right away. And you know we are cognizant that, uh, and to your question, Matt, a few a few a few minutes ago, we are cognizant that um, there is discussion around um, slower economic growth and/or recession, you know, creeping in. And so the Fed's just not on autopilot, not her words, my words, but the Fed's not on autopilot. We're not going to just do 50 chunks, chunks of 50 until we get to, until we get to neutral, which is probably uh, with Fed funds range between two and a quarter and two and a half. Fed funds continues to be a range as opposed to a point estimate. So um, I think, I think that will make the, uh, all that to say, I think that'll make the May FOMC press conference very, very interesting. I mean, they're all interesting at this point, uh, given what's going on. Um, but maybe, and I'm still kind of formulating this, but maybe Powell is not going to come off quite as hawkish as he hmm. has in the previous three, four, five press conferences and maybe introduce a little more two-way, two-way risk toward June and July going forward. I mean, I had been, pretty hawkish. I think most people know at this point um, 
around inflation and the Fed and just central banks in general. And I think that that's generally been okay, like relatively accurate. Um, so I'm starting to think about, you know, is June really a 50 basis point hike and is July right. 50? Because I've been on, I've been saying, okay, I think we're going to do 50s back to back to back, basically May, May June, July. And mm-hmm. um, so the Brainerd speech this week has given me a little bit of cause to, to maybe uh, pause a little bit of that. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, not backing off of it yet. Um, cause I think the votish, uh, the, 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 the voting, uh, uh, district rotation, uh, which includes, uh, Harker and Bullard and Mester and George, uh, all inflation hawks, uh, are all voting this year. And I, I feel like it's going to take a lot for them to kind of come off that that tone that they've really persisted through in in Q1. So, and obviously we had the CPI data earlier this week out of the U.S. and the core reading was a little bit lower than a lot of people expected, coming in at 0.3. I think it was 0.32 uh, unrounded to two decimal places. So, you know, in a, pre- in a previous life that was a, that was a pretty solid print. Uh, sure. <laughs> given the last year or so, that's uh, wow. Are things are things moderating a little bit? Right. Um, and and and, and uh, Brainard alluded the, uh, to that in her speech after the CPI number was out Tuesday morning. So um, so it's a, so you know, are we at an inflection point for the Fed? Have we seen peak inflation? Is the Fed going to start to talk? I don't want to say dovishly, but at least less hawkishly here now right. for a little bit. What does that mean for pricing? So we've seen the front end of the curve come off significantly uh, from being well above 260 two-year uh, treasury notes to uh, below 240. And uh, and 230s have steepened a fair bit, I think, 40 or 50 basis points here from the peak of the uh, of the low, uh, which is a, in the last couple of weeks was a pretty significant move. Um there's a few things going on with that, but obviously the kind of kind of focusing on the front end side and the uh, and the Fed and the Fed speak. So, yeah. So there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on with with the Fed. I mean, so but generally speaking, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to do another one of these before the May the May fourth meeting. I think the FOMC is May fourth, but um, I think the Fed will do 50. I think there might be a little bit more two way uh, narrative from Powell. Um, it's not a hawk. It's sorry. It's not a press conference meeting, but I, I do think that. Almost regardless, the num the June the June FOMC needs to be set up in May to a point, and the dots are going higher in June versus sure. versus March. I think that's I think it's likely and probably obvious to most people. So, but a lot of it's baked in, and the market's still looking for a number of hikes, you know, pr- pretty significant hikes for this year and, and into early next year. So. You know, we could be coming out of a of a of a period where um, we were at kind of peak pricing. Uh, I don't want to say peak inflation per se, but peak pricing for the Fed. And now, now instead of being maybe more of a one way, you know, higher, and people need to remark or you know, um, uh, you know, rethink their rethink their position, um, uh, or recalibrate. I guess has been my my favorite word over the last year and a half. Um, now it might be getting to a point where it's a little bit, a little bit more two way. So I think that'll be, that'll be very interesting. I think over the next, uh, the next few weeks as we get into the May meeting, I think the May, the May press conference will be, be very, very interesting for, uh, for, for all asset classes, including fixed income. 
be great, Dustin. Um, maybe just before I let you go, you talked about some positioning in Europe right. uh, and being short the European curve. It yeah. sounded like all over, but particularly the short end. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, take us through maybe one or two other uh, position based on uh, the comments that you made earlier on. Yeah. So we still like we still like the the theory around the ECB still needs to play catch up versus particularly the North American. The North American uh, central banks, uh, BOC and, and the Fed. Um, so you know we've messaged that through um, cash and futures on uh, on on the European curve, expecting the let's say the two year, two year yields and five year yields to to move higher. Uh, not, not only the German benchmark, but a few a few others as well. Um, another another trade within the European side is we've been. Uh, uh, we've also been short uh, Italy, looking for Italian spreads to kind of blow out versus the the German benchmark. But I do think mm-hmm. we are going to see, and we didn't get it today, or at least an announcement today, somewhat to my surprise, particularly because it was a big article, big spread last week about uh, the ECB continuing to need to provide um, liquidity and accommodation to the peripherals, particularly Italy. Uh, as it unwinds its asset purchase program, maybe a bit quicker than others had expected. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to, even though Lagarde has said and been on record as saying we're not here to close spreads. Uh, I don't. At the same time, I don't think they're they want to necessarily see the byproduct of what they do have peripheral spreads blow out. So there's been talk for a while, and we've been talking about it on the team for a number of months about a, uh, a an SPV, a special vehicle, uh, special purpose vehicle that would. Uh, basically take reinvestments from the asset purchase program, the QE program, and reinvest those, uh, those, those, those assets into per, uh, uh, kind of overload them on into the, the periphery side, buying, buying fixed income instruments in the periphery, particularly Italy, uh, right. but also Spain, Portugal, and that, and that crew. And um, so we've been cautious of that and uh, you know, continue to manage the, the Italy position because I do think that we are going to get an, Either an SPV or a reallocation of the um, of, of the of the reinvestment funds from the asset purchase program, the QE program, uh, at the at the June meeting. Uh, so I think right. that that's I think that that's happening. So uh, we're kind of managing the the Italy position. And I think that there are there's there's some there's some value there's some value in that. So that's kind of the European. Some of the some of the European uh, stuff, but we've obviously been adding a little bit of duration here in the long end uh, across a few curves, um, uh, particularly in North America, as uh, as rates have moved higher. Um, we're still, I think, generally on the on the on the train of uh, more hawkish uh, front end, you know, front end rates coming up, policy rates coming up, and you know, recession or at least a serious growth slowdown happening at some point. And that could continue to flatten the curve. I mean, that's generally not been the case over the last couple of weeks. So we're you know, having a fair bit of discussions on the team now about you know what is you know what does that look like and you know how long can the steepening go on for. But I think I think the team is generally on the on the we're, we're probably going to flatten out um, again. And you know this might be a little bit of an opportunity mm-hmm. to add some duration in the you know in the in the longer end. So um, so yeah. So it's been kind of it's been an interesting. Uh, been an interesting couple of weeks here, um, and I think uh, you know we spent we spent a lot of, a lot of time. Another thing we're focused on, obviously, is um, you know the terminal rate um, and how it might affect the belly of the curve, five year part of the curve. Um, 
Eurodollar contracts are currently pricing in cuts for late 23, early 24. So it's a very short oh, wow. cycle yeah, already, uh, which is making things complicated, right? Because the market's starting to look through the rate hike cycle already. And because right. it's not you know, in the grand scheme of things within fixed income, you know, talking about cuts, you know, a year and a half or two years away, again, based on the um, you know, recessionary fears and the Fed won't be able to do too much and, uh, and we'll have to kind of unwind it. So, um, that, that is having a, a really interesting impact on where the terminal rate of the cycle says so the neutral rate, which is, you know, a, a central bank is not either adding accommodation or, um, or, 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 or restricting the economy. It's kind of at neutral at equilibrium. Uh, the terminal rate is kind of the end point of the, of the cycle. And I think a lot of people think that the terminal rate is going to be above neutral, i.e. restrictive for an economy. Uh, but we know where is that? And the market has definitely come up to our view that terminal rate of the cycle is probably not going to be two and a quarter, two and a half. It's going to be three, three and a quarter, three and a half. And I'm speaking more for the Fed than for the Bank of Canada here, just particularly. But um, BOC is probably not too far, too far behind. Um, and so that's having an impact on where fives have been trading and as an inflection point of the curve. Um, fives have been a favorite from, from my side being, being short fives. So lower prices, higher yields for a while. And, uh, you know, it's come off, uh, in the last few weeks with the, um, with the recession, with the recessionary talk. So again, we're kind of having discussions around that and, you know, where, where is neutral? Where is the terminal rate? Um, you know, where is positioning? Uh, what's the next iteration of the Fed? You know those sorts of things. So, those are some of the those are some of the kind of the thoughts I would say that you know I and the team are, are having, as well as uh, some of the kind of duration and interesting trades in the you know North American and European side that are uh, that are affecting curves at the moment, at least on the sovereign side. Perfect. Well, thanks, Dustin, for for spending all this time with me uh, in the run through on the various markets where you're seeing. Um, trade ideas. I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, after the uh, Fed meeting on uh, May 10th. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Whenever you need me. Okay. Take All care. Right. Thanks, Dustin. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 